chapter 5, verses 17 to 42. Then the high priests and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during that night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case I advise you, Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, nice to be with you this morning, and thank you, Elaine, for a long reading. Just before we get into things, a couple of things from me. One is a rhetorical question, but I would like someone to come up and tell me afterwards why... An incubator for babies is called a giraffe incubator. I can't, it's confusing. I do not understand it. Uh, Two other things is to urge you really for uh, prayer. One is um, 
Many of you will know Dale Oldham, who was uh, the vicar here at St Stephen's, my immediate predecessor and the vicar here for many years at St Stephen's, over 16 years. Uh, Dale's health is not well. He's moved into um, a hospice and isn't likely to come out again, so please do keep him and uh, their family in your prayers. And uh, Tony's already led the prayers this morning. I'm so thankful that he prayed for the Webley family. Uh, but just again to update you so that you can pray for them uh, as much as possible. Yesterday, um, uh, Stephen slipped into unconsciousness. He probably won't come out. And uh, Carolyn was asked to get, tell the family to come in because he could go at any moment. And um, uh, he's actually come right the way through the night, which is wonderful. But that means, as you can imagine, that for the family it's been a really long night uh, as they've been with him. Uh, he's surrounded by people who love him. Uh, but please do keep both Stephen and the family, and some, some of whom who were there last night are here this morning, keep them in your prayers because it's been a, a long time. Why don't I lead us in prayer now and then we'll um, think about this part of God's word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, Dale and his service of you and our church family over many years. And uh, I think many of us here still think very fondly of Dale and Mari and the family. And we do ask that at this particular time you would uphold him uh, by your spirit that he would know with confidence uh, that he's in your hands uh, and know you as his father and shepherd. And we pray for the family that will be finding things so difficult seeing him uh, in this way at this time. Uh, And Father, we pray um, especially for the Webley family. And uh, we think of uh, Stephen himself. Uh, We're so thankful for all that he's uh, been to our church family here, to so many of us individually but also collectively as a church family. And we ask that at this time, Um, that he would be at peace, uh, knowing you as his heavenly father, knowing that he's in your hands and knowing all that Jesus has done for him. But we pray for Carolyn and for the girls, uh, for Janice and for his sisters, for the wider family, all who know him and love him, who are really facing a difficult time at this time and ask that you would sustain and strengthen them. Thank you for their prayerfulness. Thank you for their faith and trust in you. And we ask that you would uphold them particularly at this time. And Father, for ourselves as we... uh, We now turn to your word. I I do ask that you would help us by your spirit to be able to set aside the things that have been on our hearts and minds, to sit under this piece of your word so that you might teach us, change us and challenge us by your spirit in the words that you've spoken. And I ask that you do that especially this morning as we think about your church being uh, your people. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to start this morning by asking you how you would evaluate the strength of the Christian church in New Zealand. If you looked around and you took a kind of straw vote and you you looked at the individuals, the churches individually and collectively, uh, how would you see it? If you were to mark it out of 10 in terms of health or vitality or leadership or potential, how would it do in your ranking system? Or if you were to speculate about its long-term prognosis, how long do you think it would go for? Now, I'm not sure how you would personally answer those questions, but I think that me and a number of others here uh, would probably uh, be a bit more optimistic than the rest of the country in that prognosis. I imagine that most people in this country now see the church getting radically weaker and weaker and weaker. And you can see why. I hope we see this and understand this. Many churches up and down this land are struggling with numbers, seemingly ever declining. Uh, Most have little or no young people, children and uh, young people. Many have mediocre leaders. Uh, Money has dried up in most churches, except for the historical trusts, which seem to be propping up a number of the older established ones. 
Add to that the fact that Christianity seems more and more out of step with the culture around us uh, and that the influence Christianity has been able to have on society has certainly waned over recent years. It's a very bleak picture. Who said this? Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. Anyone know who said that? John Lennon, exactly right. Uh, One of the Beatles. I'll say it again just so that you can translate it in a kind of Liverpool accent. Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. We're, that's the Beatles, more popular than Jesus now. Uh, John Lennon said that about 1966, I think, 50 years ago. And I would say the church is in a worse state now than it was 50 years ago. And so it's very hard to be positive sometimes about the future of the church. It's easy to, to think of it as just hanging on by the skin of its teeth. We're only a generation from petering out. John Lennon just said something which even more experts today would point out and say that the time of the church is nearly gone and thank goodness for that and those sorts of things. Well, in this morning's passage, we see that the church has always faced difficult times and always been on the, face, on the brink of extinction. Today, uh, in the passage that Elaine read to us, we're seeing the second wave of problems and persecutions that hit the early church in Acts. If you haven't been with us over these last few weeks, we, we're, we're studying through the book of Acts and we've been seeing the good news of Jesus go out. And we've been, it's been very exciting. We've been seeing people's lives changed and the church grow in incredible ways. But we have seen some negatives. So back in chapter 4, we saw outward problems. We saw persecutions from the religious leaders on Peter and John, two of the key apostles, after they'd healed a man born crippled. Then last week, we saw not an external problem, but an internal problem in the church, as two members of the church were dishonest, deceptive, and hypocritical. And that was kind of the first wave, problems from without and from within. Today we see the second wave, if you like, more of the external problems as the apostles again face persecution from the religious hierarchy of the day. So I want to give just a little bit of an overview of the passage, and then there's three things I want us to focus on very quickly. Can you see if the, the verses are up behind me? Verse 17, the root of the problem in the hierarchy is what? Jealousy we're told. I'd like you to note that word, very destructive, deceptive thing, jealousy. It can cause huge harm to self and it can be the source of of causing huge harm to others. If you're jealous today, if you know you've got jealousy in your heart, I want to urge you to pray about it. I want to urge you to share it. Sometimes sharing it is something that can really help with jealousy, but make every effort to get rid of it because jealousy is very destructive and very deceptive. And these religious leaders were were jealous of the apostles. And I hope you can see why. In Jerusalem, the apostles are the new big thing. Everyone's flocking to the apostles. Everyone's listening to the apostles. People are becoming followers of Jesus because of the apostles. The apostles are healing people. And jealousy is creeping in with the religious establishment of the day. And so what do they do? Well, they arrest the apostles in verse 18. They'd arrested Peter and John back in chapter 4, but now it just says the apostles, giving the implication that it's, it's probably all of them. But then comes something very unexpected. Verse 19, it tells us that in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought the apostles out. 
In fact, this is so unexpected, some commentators kind of say, well, obviously it wasn't an angel of the Lord. It was No, it was an angel of the Lord. Unexpected, but awesome. The angel of the Lord doesn't just let them out. The angel of the Lord tells them what to do. And the angel of the Lord says, go back to the temple courts and get back to telling the people the message of new life, which, of course, is the message of Jesus. And so the disciples do that. Uh, we're told that at daybreak they go back to the temple courts and they preach. Meanwhile, the religious leaders have got no idea this jailbreak has happened and the apostles are back in the courts preaching again until someone in verse 25 comes up and goes, uh, actually, I think those guys are back in the temple courts preaching. So the religious leaders send out the guards and arrest the apostles again. We're told they don't use force, and that's just a sign, isn't it, of why the jealousy's there, because the, they're worried that the apostles will get a lot of support, so they don't want to show any force against them. They don't want to start a riot. But they bring the apostles before the Sanhedrin. So they're standing in front of a big court, the religious council of the day, and they start to hammer the apostles. They say, we've already told you, you are not to teach the name. You're not to teach about Jesus Christ. Then I think they give a bit of a compliment because they admit, uh, there's verse 28 still, they admit that the, uh, the apostles have filled Jerusalem with their teaching. That's what's ticked them off. Wouldn't it be a good thing if people were ticked off with St. Stephen's because we'd filled Christchurch with teaching on Jesus? Uh, that'd be a good thing. Uh, but Peter, Peter stands up. It seems to be Peter who's the kind of main spokesman. And he says, we need to obey God, not man. You can say what you like about what we can, what you want us to do or not want us to do when it comes to Jesus, but we will obey the Lord, not you. And then he talks about what God has done, raised Jesus. He talks about what the exalted Jesus has done, brought uh, forgiveness and repentance. Uh, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about Father, Son and Spirit here. And the leaders are furious at what Peter says. And so in verse 33, we're told they want to execute them. But then we're introduced to this guy, Gamaliel. Uh, Gamaliel, we're told, is a Pharisee who was respected by all. Uh, you can read about Gamaliel, who's obviously so well respected and known that you can read about him from other sources, not just uh, the New Testament. Uh, but we will see him or hear of him again later in the New Testament because he's the one who originally trained Paul, uh, the apostle, uh, as a Pharisee. So, and you can see that he's wise even in the first thing that he says. Have a look at his first words to them. He says, consider carefully. The wise person who starts off what they're saying, consider carefully. We live in an age where it says, just go with your gut. <laughs> just follow your heart. Sometimes it might be wise to consider carefully. And when it comes to Jesus, especially consider carefully. This is what so many people in the world don't do today when it comes to Jesus. They make snap decisions. They reject without even thinking about it. Uh, without even really considering or what they don't do is consider carefully. If you're here this morning and you still haven't quite worked out where you are with Jesus, I want to urge you, consider carefully. Don't make that mistake. Jesus stands up to careful consideration. He stands up to scrutiny and investigation. When you really think about his words and his actions and his life and his death and his resurrection, you'll come to the... He's worth carefully considering. Well, Gamaliel says, carefully consider, and then what he does is he goes on to, to give two examples of other Jews in the past who had a big following, but then they died and their following and followers eventually disappeared. Does that make sense? So he talks about two people in the past who had you know, massive followings, but then when they died, it all dispersed over time. And he suggests, therefore, the hierarchy leave the apostles alone. Just leave them alone and see what happens. 
Because he says if their purpose or activity is from man, if it's just human, it will fail and stop anyway, just like these past ones. And if it's from God, you won't be able to stop it anyway, so just leave it alone. The leaders follow his advice, which is good. They let the apostles go, although you can see in verse 40 they can't help but give them a flogging on their way out, which probably speaks of their attitude. Uh, And then they order them again, you must not speak the name of Jesus. You must not teach about Jesus, but they release them. I then love the last couple of verses because let's see how the apostles respond to that. Verse 41, after they've been flogged and told what to do, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Probably not the response the authorities were hoping for, but ha, ha, ha. Well, three quick points. Three quick points to highlight from this uh, passage. Firstly, I I hope we can see the price of following Jesus. The price of following Jesus. It's clear from this passage that following Jesus causes problems in the life of a believer. I want you to hear that and feel the weight of it. If you're here today and you don't yet follow Jesus, you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, then it's probably because you're not yet convinced. And one of the things you may still be working out and thinking about is, well, if I follow Jesus, will it have negative impacts on my life? Will it affect me in some kind of costly way? Yes, it will. It's what this passage says, and that's what my experience as a Christian is, and that's what God tells us. If that's been one of your concerns, it's a good concern to have and to think about and reflect upon before you choose to follow Jesus. This passage says that. Following Jesus is costly. There is a price to pay. And you and I should know that coming in. I worry that today as Christians, sometimes we're not honest enough in our advertising of following Jesus. We're very good at playing up the benefits. We're very good at stating the the blessings of following Jesus, and they are true, and we should play them up. But we're not as good sometimes at saying how hard it will be. This passage sees followers of Jesus flogged, arrested, antagonized by the authorities, given warnings and threats, all for just following Jesus. And this shouldn't surprise us. Jesus prepared his disciples for it. He did a much better job of selling following himself than we do. If the world hates you, he said to his disciples, bear in mind it hated me first. He told his disciples they would be hated. If anyone would follow me, you must take up your pillow and follow me. Is that what he said? No. You must take up your cross and follow me. Life in this fallen world... As fallen, fallible, frail people is hard enough. But for the Christian following Jesus will come even more trials and tribulations, more difficulties. And you should know that before you choose to follow him. And you should know that while you're following him. And I I, I tell us that this morning in part because sometimes people become Christians and they think, well, what's gone wrong? I thought following Jesus would bring just joy and happiness and fulfillment and blessing. If we thought that, we had the wrong idea going in. It will bring those things, but there's another side to it. The passage is clear here. There's a price for following Jesus. That's the first point. Secondly, there's a priority of following Jesus. I want to say this as kind of starkly as I can. 
then if you disagree, you know what you're disagreeing with. There is nothing more important in life than following Jesus. There is nothing more important in life than following Jesus. In fact, I would say following Jesus is the purpose of life because our purpose as human beings in this world has been ruined and God's way of fixing it is Jesus and therefore following Jesus is the purpose of life. Therefore, before any human relationship that you have, before your career or the culture around us, before your pursuits or politics, Jesus comes first. He's the priority. And you see this in a very surprising example in this passage. Surprising because the New Testament is very clear in multiple places. We could sit down today and open the Bible and I could take us to a number of places where Christians are told you must obey the laws of the land. Where Christians are uh, given the, the task of obeying the leadership of the places where they live. We know that as Christians, if we've read the New Testament or or kind of been at church for long, Christians should be the best possible citizens in a country because obedience to authorities is part of our mission. We are to be law abiders. We are to be people that submit. We are actually, in Timothy, told to pray for those who are in office and authority. We show respect and do what we're told, which makes verse 20 here even more surprising because in verse 20... It's the angel of the Lord who tells the apostles, break the rules. Back in chapter 4, the apostles had been told, do not go to the temple courts and do not preach Jesus. And here, the angel of the Lord, speaking on behalf of God, says, go back to the temple courts and preach the name of Jesus. That's huge. But can you see why? They're told to do this from this this passage. Peter puts it into words we can all understand in verse 29 when he's responding to the, the hierarchy. Verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. It's pretty key for Christians. That's the priority of following Jesus. Even before the laws of the land, even before the rules of the religious establishment, comes obedience to God for the follower of Jesus. That's number one. If the government of the country or the general synod of the church forbid what God commands, we ignore the establishment. If the government of the country or the general synod of the church permit that which the Lord forbids, we ignore it. Jesus is our priority. He's the one that sets the direction for our lives. He's the one that's to come before all other voices, stand above all other authorities, and therefore must impact every area of our life. We follow him first and then the implications for everything else in our life. So the price of following Jesus, the priority of following Jesus. Lastly, the peace that comes from following Jesus. The peace that comes from following Jesus. You might expect the uh, apostles to panic at the end of this chapter. Oh my goodness, they've been flogged, they've been arrested, they've been threatened, all all this kind of thing. You might have thought that the threats of the leaders, the floggings of the guards, the time spent in incarceration, the warnings that they've been given, any of these things might put the apostles off, and yet not a bit of it. Remember how the passage ends, verse 41, the apostles rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer the disgrace for the name of Jesus. And then they go out seemingly rejuvenated. They will not stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They actually seem more confident, more assured, more determined. They seem to have a peace which allows them to do their ministry even in the face of these awful circumstances. 
They seem to have a peace which will allow them to not just survive in this situation, but thrive in the middle of it. And it seems to me that there's two reasons for this peace that they were able to have, this confidence and assurance in the middle of the awful circumstances. One, they knew the truth about Jesus. Again, it's Peter's words that are key here because he's speaking on behalf of all the apostles. In verse 29, look look what he says. Look at the truths that he states and holds on to. The apostles knew that Jesus rose from the dead. That changed everything. I tell you, the last 24 hours have again reminded me that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this world is dud. It's awful. It is awful. But he did rise, and that changes everything. They knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. Verse 31, they knew that Jesus was exalted as prince and saviour. They knew that the one they followed is the king of the world and they knew that the one that they followed is the one who died for them to make them part of God's family. They knew that this Jesus gives repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's a second chance and an ability to stand before God and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. These apostles knew that and they knew that he'd given them the Holy Spirit and that gave them the peace and confidence because they knew who was with them. If I was going to play basketball today, after church, out there. Don't even think about it. But if I knew on my team, standing alongside me, was Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, they're in their prime. They're not me, okay? They're in their prime. Uh, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. And I look around the court and I see those guys. I'm feeling really good about the game of basketball coming up. I'm feeling relaxed. I'm feeling very good. If you're in life even a life with difficulties and struggles, and you know Jesus is with you, you're good. You're good. That brings a peace. It doesn't take away all the questions and the worries, but it brings a peace. The apostles knew the truth that Jesus was with them, the one who'd risen from the dead, the one who was saviour and prince, the one who gives repentance and forgiveness of sins. They knew it. The other reason I think they could have peace is the truth, the unusual vehicle of truth here, isn't it? But the the truth that Gamaliel spoke. Do you remember what he said near the end of the passage? He spoke of other failed uprisings where the head had been cut off the snake. The leader had died and therefore the following and the followers had kind of fallen away. And the implication is Jesus has just died, so his followers and following will fall away. Well, the, the Christian leaders had just killed Jesus, so Gamaliel says, therefore just wait and see. Verse 38, have a look at the words he uses. I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. And Gamaliel probably thought that the first part of what he was saying was the actual truth and what would happen. But the truth was in the second part. Because Christianity is from God. In fact, God the Son is its Prince and Saviour, and so no one nor anything will be able to stop it. The church is the bride of Christ. Nothing will crush her. Anything going up against the church, in Gamaliel's words, is fighting against God. I know where my money is in that battle. That's the peace that the disciples had. They knew it was of God. They knew uh, these things. Therefore, nothing will ever stop the church. We know how it ends. The Romans in the Colosseum could not stop Christ 
or his church. Communism and fascism down through the centuries has not been able to stop Christ and his church. The material decadence of capitalism has not been able to stop Christ and his church. The threats today of apathy and Islam and narcissism will not stop Christ and his church. We may look at ourselves or look at New Zealand and feel weak and declining and on the brink and only one generation away from, but it's not true. Because you and I are part of the plan and purpose of God, and it's the plan and purpose of God that means it will not be thwarted by any power, principle or person. We're the bride of Christ. We're in good hands. Things may look weak and brittle. We may face problems from all over the place, externally like they did in the early church and internally like they did in the early church. But when you know you've got Jesus and you know that God's on your side, it changes everything. There is a price to following Jesus. There is a cost. Some of you today may know that cost all too well right at the moment. But he's worth it. There is a priority to following Jesus, and so there should be, because he's the yes and amen to all God's plans and purposes. The people of God have always had it hard. From the days uh, of the early church here right through the centuries to today, following Jesus is tough. But what did Gamaliel say? If it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. And as I said, I know who I put my money on in that battle. I can't remember what title I gave this talk weeks ago when I put it together. What's in the new sheet? Okay. I want to change the title. I've decided I want to change the title after... Uh, look, at, the title of this talk is The Unstoppable Gospel of Christ. That's what this passage is about. The Unstoppable Gospel of Christ. That's what you and I have and are part of, no matter how weak or frail we may feel. The good news of Christ through the ministry of his church, continues to grow people, continues to move people from darkness to light and from death to life, continues to bring restoration and healing and forgiveness and the good news of eternal life and the new creation. That's what we are, part of the unstoppable gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that encourages you as it's encouraged me this week. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the example of this early church and of the apostles in particular. And we can see that their life was certainly not carefree or easy. As they went through difficulties and suffering, not just of normal life, but because they followed you. Father, I pray that we wouldn't shy away from paying that price ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would put as our priority in life following you that it would be number one above everything else and everything else would fall into line under that. But I want to thank you most of all this morning for the peace that comes from following the Lord Jesus, that we are part of the unstoppable gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are still using to change this world and to move us from this fallen creation into the new creation where all tears, sin and death is gone. Help us remember that when we're finding things difficult and help us take part in this mission wholeheartedly as we're able. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thank you, Jay. That was great.